Podcast One. If you think selling your product or service is hard, then try selling vintage watches worth thousands of dollars sight unseen online. <laughs> Today's guest does exactly that. In fact, last year, he sold over $2.3 million worth. It's a very timely episode 457 of the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show, where successful small business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead, now here's your host, Mr. Tim And welcome back to your weekly dose of clockwork marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. But if that's not enough and you're itching to fast track your marketing success, then let's get personal with a one-on-one coaching session with me that you can book over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Big episode today, we catch up with a young fellow from New York who's making a mozza from selling vintage watches online. LA-based concierge to the stars, Steve Sims, shares another simple way you can wow those precious clients of yours, and another listener wins a thousand bucks worth of prizes simply by sharing what marketing is working for them. Love giving away prizes to you guys. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Quick update, uh, my book, The Boomerang Effect, is back in print. Had a number of boxes delivered uh, last week. So if you do want to buy it, head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. The Boomerang Effect, simple concept, which basically says the more helpful you are in your marketing, it will return multiples. It's a lazy 40,000 words that I penned a couple of years ago, and I know that those who have bought it have really appreciated it. the simplicity of which I've written it because I can't really write complicated stuff. It's beyond me. It's called The Boomerang Effect. It's my book. I think you'll love it if you're a small business owner wanting to turbocharge your marketing and you'll find it over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Did someone say something? Yep. It's time for another business building tip to wow those precious clients of yours. And as usual, all the way from the City of Angels, we're joined by Steve Sims, speaker and best-selling author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Simsy, how are we going to wow those precious clients of ours this time around? Well, we're going to be focusing on the checkbook today. (laughs) See, there's a lot of people that actually look at how much this is going to cost. You want to go out and you want to buy something for, for someone you love, you look in your wallet and you go, well, how much can I afford? So a lot of people's decisions are based on how much bucks they got, how many of their dollars they're sitting around, what's the bank account look like. The focus here when you're working with your clients and anything in your life should be the impact it produces over the the amount it costs. So don't look at the Mm -hmm. price tag, just look to is that impactful enough. So whenever we deal with any of our clients and we're either trying to seduce them in our prospects or we're trying to do some brand, we focus on the impact of working with us. 
What is this going to do to you? How is this going to help you? You want to solve and not sell. So focus on the impact you're providing rather than the dollar symbol. You know, focusing on that end output makes them less price sensitive. If you can get a client or a prospect excited about what it is you're going to deliver, whether you're selling a product or a service, surely then if they're excited enough and they develop a trust with you, then they become much less price sensitive, right? Well, so many people out there actually have fee phobia. Uh, and this works on two sides. Fee, the people that fee, are looking fee. to actually take someone on, they look at the price tag first. They walk over to a jacket. Before they know if it makes them look 20 years younger, they look at the price tag. Mm. Now, funny enough, if they can't see the price tag and then they put it on and they go, damn, I look 20 years younger. I actually look like a better looking version of Steve Sims. <laughs> then they'll buy the jacket. <laughs> but a lot of people look at the price tag first. And a lot of people, when they sell things, they make the mistake by going, hey, I do this. It's $20,000, but let mm. me tell you what. No. Lots of people are scared of the fee. Both of the sides focus on what it provides, what the benefits are, what the value is, and what the impact will be to you. Nine times out of ten, if you can provide that, the price tag just slips away. And if you want a little test on this, I've often thought to myself, when I walk through the house or through my garage or something like that, if I can remember the price of something then it wasn't a value. The stuff that I really use all the time, I really love, the stuff I can't live without, I forgot how much it pays for because the value exceeded the price tag. Simsy, you're the genius at delivering value, as was evidenced by the interview we did with you a few weeks ago in regards to providing Elton John with the party of his life and providing excessive <laughs> value to all those baby Dobermans and the big Doberman at the end of the chain. So uh, love your ideas, mate. There you go, team. Another killer way to make your precious clients go wow. Thanks, Steve. See you again. I love those segments. Quite inspirational. And if you want a little bit more inspiration, then let's meet today's guest. In 2014, while studying law, 19-year-old Christian Zeron started selling pre-owned watches, like vintage watches, from his college dorm room. Fast forward to 2019, and he's turning over in excess of 2.3 million denarii a year through a brand that he's created called Theo and Harris, which is an online luxury watch shop. His website generates 1.3 million monthly page views, and he gets all that from some free traffic strategies, which raises so many questions like, how do you sell high-priced watches sight unseen? Like, how do you do that? What's the biggest sale he's made online? What marketing is he doing to generate that kind of traffic and revenue without spending a whole lot of coin? And the big question, why aren't I generating $2.3 million a year? So strap in as Christian answers all of these questions, except the last one, unfortunately, plus a whole lot more. I started off by asking him the question we've all been wanting the answer to, and that is, why do all watches, when presented in a marketing scenario, have their hands positioned at 10 past 10? You know what? It's just it just becomes such industry standard at this point. It's like standard of care, like in medicine. It's just what you do. Like if you don't do it, you get grilled for it. You know. But is there is there no other reason? It's just industry standard. 
That's it. Frankly, I think that certain watches actually look better if it's not 1010. Um, it just comes down to what, you know what is most appealing on the eye. I'm right. certainly not an authority on that, but we I definitely appeal to the authorities or to the <laughs> powers that uh, have decreed. I love the passion you have for vintage watches. What's your favorite and why? Um, I'm super sentimental. Uh, in my personal collection, my Rolex is from 1977. Uh, it was a watch that I, I never thought I would have owned. It was a watch that I was encouraged to buy by my mother. And that watch, I would say, is probably – if there's a material item that is the sole reason I am who I am, it's that, it's that watch. <laughs> so I look at it and, yeah, it's beautiful, but I don't even see the beauty. You know what I mean? I just see like, Wow. You know, this thing changed the trajectory of my life. So that's what watches can mean to me, and that's what that one does. Yeah, that's beautiful. I get it. You know, it's beyond just it being a timepiece. It's something that tells 100%. a story and, and and sort of captures memories, I guess. No, 100, 100%. I can't tell you the, 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 the business decisions, the terrible dates I've had in that watch. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and you look at it and it's like, it's like your friend that's, you know, that's sitting there like, you know, with you laughing at all the things or, you know, it's, Mate, it's, it's your buddy. I get it. And I think I know which watch you're talking about. I watched one of your videos. It's a beautiful, it's got a blue face and sort of a, a caramel colored exactly band. Right. Exactly yeah, right. It's beautiful. Hey, um, is the Apple Watch Satan incarnate to you? You know what? It, it's a watch that I have no interest in. Uh, no interest in because I really do. I really do like the even the aesthetic of vintage watches. Yes. Um, I also, you know, because I because I like things that last a long time. Whether that's a jacket or shoes or a watch, uh, and, and technology just happens to be replaced more often. Mm-hmm. It doesn't appeal to me, but it doesn't offend me at any by any means. If someone finds it to be a utility in their life, uh, I'm not one of those maniacs that's gonna you know crucify you for it. He's an open-minded vintage watch guy. That's what we love about you, Christian. Exactly right. So, buddy, it's 2013, 2014. You're in your college dorm room. You're studying law, as you do, and you decide to get into the watch business, the vintage watch business. Why? You know, it was a little bit before that. I, I never really had a job. Uh, a couple of months before, my, my mom looked at me. I was, was 19, and all my friends had been working for, for several years. My mom started working when she was like 11, my dad the same. So they were like, you know, we had kind of tough childhoods, and, and we started working, and yet our kid, who grew up much more privileged than we did, hasn't worked really a day in his life. This is bad. You know, so, so my mom was like, listen, you got to get a job. I don't care what it is, but you got to get a job. So I went out and I got a job at a, at a, at a clothing department store, which I thought that I, I would work at well because I was passionate about clothing. I was fired after like two days. <laughs> my, my check was like $31. Uh, I got another job at a shoe store, fired after like two, like two days. Um, and, and the reality was <clears throat> I wasn't stealing. I just, my heart wasn't in it. I was, I was kind of dozing off. I, I really was not passionate about what I was doing and I almost couldn't justify being there. Mm-hmm. So I looked at my mom after she thought that I was the biggest moron in the world. I couldn't even keep those two jobs. And I said, listen, I think that this is not a matter of, of me being an idiot or not. I think that this could come down to just passion. I need to love what I'm doing. And if I do love what I'm doing, I think I'll kill it. I want to buy watches and I want to sell them. And she thought I was crazy, but, uh, but a couple of weeks later it happened. And that was your was your passion. You'd had that passion prior to deciding I, to take it into a business. I had I'd been reading about watches for about eighteen months prior. Uh, not every not every day or not every minute, but you know uh, more and more and more and more. Uh, by the time that I started the company, I knew about as much as a as a hobbyist could. Mm-hmm. Certainly not 
as much as a professional, but I, I knew a lot for a hobbyist. So how do you start an, uh, a vintage watch business from scratch? I, I basically looked at a couple of the players in the market that already existed, and I said, you know, what are they doing, and, and, and can I do it? It was very simple. You, you buy inventory. That could be, at the time, it was basically off of eBay. Um, you, you, you develop a brand. My company was called Theo and Harris, totally made-up name. It just sounded like the, the kind of company I wanted to own, something respectable and, and kind of rich and old, and old world. Um, and then you start to figure out ways that you can sell these watches. You list them online, they're not going to do anything. Right. But if you promote them on Instagram, they might. If you promote them on YouTube, they might even quicker. So that's basically the principle on which the business was founded. Nothing super fancy, just marketing. Don't you love the modern world of business creation? I mean, you literally, what, you buy some inventory. Uh, did, did you create a web page where you could list the watches or? Started a little website, a little, you yeah. know, baloney website, nothing fancy. <laughs> um, you know, hosting fees were, God, what, $100 a year? Like nothing. Yeah. Love a baloney website. Such a New York yeah. phrase. Yeah, I remember like saying this a couple a couple of years ago. I said, you know, if my, if my dad wanted to start this same company twenty years ago, he would have had to one quit school because you need to actually be at the store, and two have enough money to have a store. Yes, you know, to build something out to pay rent, and for a hundred dollars a year, I have a website. I mean, this is insane. It's insane. Tell us about your first sale. Uh, it was it was two or three weeks into the uh, two or three weeks into the business. Um, I it was super underwhelmed. You know, one of the things I talk about all the time was particularly people my age. People find it very very enticing and very impressive to own um, a, a, a fake business, a business that hasn't started yet. That is a billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. It's a super cool idea. It sounds great to say like you know, oh, I I I I'm building a business that sells vintage watches. It's uncool to say, yeah, I have a business that hasn't sold a watch yet. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So in two weeks into the business, I hadn't sold a watch, and I was like, "Wow, maybe this was a bad idea." Um, but then one day, it was, it was pretty late at night. It was like eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, and uh, and someone just bought a two hundred dollar watch, and I said, "Boom, that's one person." Now I just have to find another. Mm-hmm. Good feeling. It come through on the PayPal. The little ding was it or? It's a great feeling. I mean, I made basically no money, but the point was, okay, someone out there gets this. I just have to find someone else like, and, 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 and build this community. But at least someone, you know what I mean? That first person does mean a lot for, you know, for affirmation. Totally, totally. You say you aim to shake the vintage watch industry and I've interviewed a couple of business owners previously who are sort of shaking industries. There's a crowd out of Australia who are shaking up the wine industry. They call themselves Vino Mofo and they've sort of challenged the way the current wine category talks about wine and it's up its own ass and, you know, all this Mm -hmm. weird language and they've just brought it back to normal language. Are you doing the same with the vintage watch industry? And if you are, are you pissing anyone off? It's it's the same thing, basically pissing a ton of people off. Uh, I'm am certainly not as as you know like nasty and irreverent as as, as I was a couple of years ago. Um, but you know we 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 never hold back an opinion. And and I I I'm, I'm, I use I use curse words on my channel. Uh, you know I, I I say things that are maybe off color. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately that is what made that has that has been what's made us in many ways so successful. It's it's that you know. Total culture shock. Our industry is super farty. It's super old world. It's 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 very old school. Yeah. So when we came on the scene and started saying like, you know, hey, Rolex, that was 
dumb, you know, and using a curse word, people were like, wait, this is terrible, you know, in the beginning. <laughs> but then once we reached more younger people, everyone was like, wait, finally someone that I can relate to that's talking about watches. This is who I want to know. This is who I want to buy from. Tell me about Nasty and Irreverent and why you changed. What what what, what did that look or sound like? And, and did you just think it was tonally wasn't right for the business? I remember uh, I was a little bit younger. My dad's company had hired uh, a goalkeeper, a hockey goalkeeper. A guy's name was Jim Craig. He was the um, he was the goalkeeper for 1980 United States uh, hockey team, uh, the, the USA Russia, the Miracle on Ice. Yeah. Right? I remember. I remember the guy, my dad coming home from the from the talk, and 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 Jim had told the entire room this this, this quote, his quote, and it said that every great team uh, needed uh, an, an enemy, right, uh, imaginary or real. It didn't matter. You just need an enemy, right? You need to kind of be angry to, to fuel you. Of course, different people, different philosophies, that was his. And I really took to that. Um, to this day, I'll make up an enemy. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make an enemy where there really is none. And I'll, and I'll definitely get nasty um, or, you know, not, not publicly, but, but in my own head, like, okay, we're going to, we're going to ruin these people. We're going to, we're going to beat them. You know, I don't, like, I don't envision all me and all my competitors having a fun dinner together, mm-hmm. right? Like I envisioned like, that's it. You're going to be embarrassed that the 19 year old kicked your butt. Like that's what that's what drove me at the time, right? Got it. And as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm only 23, but as I've gotten a little older, I'm like, okay, wait, that was a little bit childish. You know? Yeah, okay. Like, you can relax a little bit. Like you know, life isn't it doesn't need to be perpetually kind of you know super competitive and nasty. Um, that being said, a lot of that you know same kind of you know being is is there inside of me. It's just a little bit more mellowed out. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. And I think as you start a business, you know, you get tonally, you get a sense of how you want people to describe that business and the personality that you attach to the brand, in this case, the Theo and Harris brand. And clearly, obviously, when you started, it was maybe a little bit over the top and you've pulled it back and you've, you've found that sweet spot. Exactly right. And that's, that's something that when we, when we did find the sweet spot, I was like relieved. I said, oh, geez, finally, I'm not just being nasty for the sake of being nasty. You know, we're super complimentary when, when compliments are, are you know, uh, earned. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and we're definitely aggressive when, when something that we you know, see is uh, ridiculous. You start, you sell one watch, you sell another watch, you're starting to sell a few watches, the website starts to get built out. It's no longer a baloney type website. I've never had baloney. What is baloney? Is it like a salami? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's a salami. A salami. Okay, and what I'm interested in is then you're now selling watches online worth thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. How do you get someone to cross that line of trust to hand over that kind of money without necessarily, I'm guessing, they're not feeling the watch. They're not seeing the watch face to face. It's super long journey. I started the business with, with $10,000 and was buying you know cheap watches and selling them for slightly more than we bought them for, right? So that's a far cry from investing $15,000 in an Audemars Piguet, right? And then, and then and finding someone to trust you with that. You know what I mean? That's a totally different image. It's a totally different level of trust. And the answer for me, the, the, the secret recipe to this company, which is so obvious to all of our competitors, I don't know why they don't take advantage of it, is, is creating an online presence that is extremely personal, right? We, it's not just about the watches anymore, right? It's about you know fostering a community, be, you know, being associated with with family and values, uh, being associated with passion. That's what has made our clients feel so comfortable with our company, right? People who have never met me, we we, we hosted our first event a couple of weeks ago, um, and and it was a, it was an awesome success. So many people came out, and the 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 vibe of our event was so different than our. 
competitors' events because people genuinely feel like like they're my friend, like they know my dad, like they know my mom. You know what I mean? Like they feel mm-hmm. like we're all buddies and that's how it should be. Let's break that down. Extremely personal online presence, you say, is the secret recipe. Uh, I've looked through your channel. Those listening won't have looked through the channel. Let's just – how do you create that extremely personal online presence? Again, not – like very simply, the most – the easiest way is to to not be restrained. You know, of course, you know, be, be, uh, be calculated, but to be able to make fun of yourself, to be able to give an anecdote about your life or to be able to relate something back to yourself, uh, be, you know, investing time and money into actually engaging with people. You know, I handle – all of our emails, right? We get we get dozens of sales emails a day and hundreds of, of I call them community emails, right? Emails that aren't going to make me a dollar today. They're not about my products. They have nothing to do with making me money today. But they're they're people that are basically reaching out to me and begging to be a part of my part of the community in just a question about a watch, and 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 we take the time out of our day to make sure those emails are one encouraged and two answered. It costs a lot of time. It costs a lot of money, but in the long term, it's what's made this company, you know, a, a, a person in, in, in this business. It, it, has a, it has a personality. It has a face that people can adore. I'll add to that because one of the great things, and maybe you're being a little bit humble here, Christian, but you, you have a great ability to tell story. A past guest of this show, another American fellow, Dave Munson, from a company called Saddleback Leather, uh, is also a great storyteller around his product. He, he makes leather bags and he talks about the idea of making a leather bag that Indiana Jones would love. And, you know, that conjures up so much, doesn't it, in the mind? That's all, it's awesome. It That's is awesome. awesome. It is awesome. Uh, you, I'm guessing, are also a great story. I know you are. I've watched some of your videos. Tell us about how you how – does, how does a business owner who's selling, I don't know, pool chemicals or pot plants or an accounting firm go and find anecdotes or stories to create a personal connection with their, their prospects? It's like you know. It's like asking a fish how do they swim. I mean, it's one of probably the mm. only things that I'm that I'm really good at, and I and I've <laughs> just been practicing since I'm a little kid. I grew up in a in a really big Italian family, uh, and really the only thing that I ever knew growing up was the oral tradition. It was storytelling. So for me, I mean, I, I make almost a game out of it. You know, uh, how how would I market that brand? How would I storytell? Um, of course, you have to dive in. You have to really understand what they're doing. But there is a way for just, just there's a way for everyone you know if if you're going to uh, sell you know chemicals I, I don't I don't know I don't know the answer but there has to be something that's more than material um, or or you know if, if you're just going you know uh, I, I don't know it's, it's, it's a good it's, it's a good question well I mean, you, you, you um, it's, maybe it's an unfair question because as you say you've grown up with it you know you, it's just part of your DNA if I may add you know to, to, to that to that answer my own question maybe what you need to do is for every point you want to make around a product there is jet, you, there is probably a story behind it somewhere there's some you, know, you, you just need to sort of sit and look for it it not it might not come immediately but there'll be an interaction you had with a past customer who bought it and they told you a story about it or there's a thought you had about that story about that product that you, you just got to find it it's a matter of it. listening it's yes. a matter of listening to people what 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 about your product is catching people you know and maybe it's maybe it's not what you thought it was going to be mm. you know maybe maybe you know my rolex is uh, I, I maybe i th- 
thought I was going to sell them on the basis that, you know, uh, on the basis of the, of the objective qualities, right? Maybe I thought going into this business that I would sell the Samariter on my wrist because of its, uh, because of its case condition, right? Ultimately, it's a variable, but really, is that the big trigger puller? Or are people begging me to talk about James Bond? Mm. Are people waiting for me to talk about Magnum PI when it comes to a Rolex GMT? Uh, do they do they want to hear about you know you know pussy galore? You know what I mean? Like like those were the things that kind of created the culture. You know the the Rolex GMT. If you look at it from as just a watch, it's a cool watch, right? It's 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 red, it's blue, it's a classic Rolex oyster, it's got a nice bracelet, whatever. Every, everyone likes it. It's a Rolex, right? Yeah. But if you actually dive into it, right, it's it's a watch that was invented to to suit the jet set. Right? This was a watch in the 1950s, 1954, I think. Uh, actually, I, I'm sure it was 1954, that that the entire creation of it was, hey, America's luckiest, richest, most successful, most important people who in 1954 were actually flying regularly. Here's a, here's a luxury tool for your wrist. You don't need it, but it's really, really cool. That's a great commentary. You know, that, that's what people want to own right now. That's why I want a GMT. I don't know what you just said then, Christian, but the passion in which you said it, is awesome. <laughs> exactly. exactly right. It was a great quote. If you ever saw the movie, uh, uh, Catch Me If You Can, one of the great quotes was, um, was uh, why do the Yankees always win? Because other teams can't stop staring at their pinstripes. You know, it's not what you're doing. There sometimes. you go. It's, 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 it's how you're saying it. Totally. You know? Be passionate. And I think another part of your online, creating this extremely personal online presence is the way you work YouTube over. So let's talk about your YouTube marketing. I've, I've read somewhere where you say it's your main marketing funnel. So how do you use YouTube effectively? What are you doing? From 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 the beginning, before a video is conceived, I'm looking at our competitors and, and what is working video-wise. I'm not a YouTube expert in that I know how to make the perfect cover photo or the perfect title, right? It's 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 not me, right? I surround myself with people and resources that help inform those decisions, right? But but I don't have I don't have the you know the the abilities there. So uh, so Anna, right? Anna's a co-founder of the company. Anna was the first employee. She she was she was went to college with me. And today she runs our content, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when we're about to sit down and say, well, what does we, we record videos two to three weeks ahead of time? So, what what are the what's the content in three weeks, right? We say, well, what's been released in the last month? By, by our competitors, what has been working and how do we approve upon it, right? So instead of saying, um, uh, here are four reasons why the Submariner is an interesting watch, right? We say, you know, or we'll make a little bit of a twist of that, assuming the Submariner is hot topic right now, which it basically always is. And we'll say, um, uh, it, it, let's, let's say we're trying to target uh, younger people, people that are looking for more budget watches, Four Rolex Samaritan alternatives under four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Right, that's a YouTube title. It's 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 very easy. It's not it's not rocket science. What we're doing is fairly simple. Right, but now developing a piece of content that is equally informational as it is informative. Um, obviously, doing some paid ads if if if, if we can, uh, and uh, and sharing it or distributing that content all over, whether that's LinkedIn or Instagram, etc. You, what's the production look like? Because they're they're pretty. I mean, I talk about you know you can use your iPhone to 
shoot a YouTube video, and many do. Are you taking a crew with you? Are you got a professional studio set up? What's what's that look like? I have a I have a room in a relative's home that used to be a computer room that we have painted and put up uh, and put up uh, uh, you know like decoration in the mm-hmm. back. We we do everything you know we call it ghetto like we do everything pretty ghetto right. I don't I, you know I don't I don't need a, a, a an office in Manhattan. Um, I don't need to commute there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I'm you know in a computer room in a in suburbia. I uh, we're, we're we're able to put this on. So it looks pretty, you know, high production value, um, but really, I'm I'm obviously more focused on uh, on on you know achieving the quality and obviously maintaining a level of profitability. Um, actually, having the best setup, not in my interest. You do everything ghetto or baloney. I figured out. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's great. I mean, even here's a here's a, a premium a company selling a premium type product, uh, and yet behind the scenes, you know, you're doing things on a budget how it should be. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I, I just uh, I, I'd never I was never one of those people that that was going to take pride in 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 their office, right? Mm-hmm. If my office is a tool that 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 generates you know greater revenue and more profit, that's great. But I know so many people, a lot of our competitors, that took such pride in their offices, even though their offices were liabilities. That I was like, I'd rather just have a nicer apartment if I'm going to waste money. Correct. Like you know what I mean? I would, I would just rather have a nicer car. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't need a fancy <laughs> office. Correct. Know? Hey, many of you videos don't have call to, calls to action. Why? It's, it's a good question. I, I really like to balance it. One of the things that, that we do get a bad rap for um, is exactly is, is having too much call to action. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's definitely uh, hard to you know maintain direction uh, without being called you know uh, you know a, a pusher or a snake oil salesman. You know, I do, I do talk quickly. I do talk passionately. So I, I'd like to produce content as often as I can that is just. Value to our, you know, consumer. That's obviously branded. And tomorrow, I'll ask you to do something. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll ask you to check out the shop. Or tomorrow, I'll, I'll, I'll make the ask. But right now, let me just let me just give you something, and uh, and that's it. So it's really to mitigate criticism or to uh, or to keep kind of a friendly, trusting relationship. But I'm sure that we're not doing it perfectly. But but that's that's the that's the thought process behind it. Christian, you talk about increasing your, how increasing your price can help you do better in business. I like this. How? How does that work? Increasing our price on, on our retail items? Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, big, bigger margin, the better. And if we can justify that margin yes. you know, through other ways, then that's great. I mean, we just started offering uh, uh, one-year warranties on everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that is something that will, at some point, you know, cost us cost us money. But if the return on every on, on every you know watch is greater, right? If we're able to demand you know a premium that is greater than the expense, then that's a great way, right? It's 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 just uh, you know every day trying to think of a way to deliver a, a better product that costs a little bit more to the consumer than it costs to us, right? I'm, I've never been an interest I've never been interested in 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 offering the cheapest product. Mm-hmm. I don't play race to the bottom. I have just never done it before. I won't. I won't do it now. Um, so uh, so yeah. Does that weird kind of consumer behaviour happen in your industry where the higher the price, the better the watch must be? 
you know? Um, people, people assume that. It's not always true. Uh, it's not always true, but a big thing, especially when you go up the chain to more expensive watches, uh, people are willing to spend more uh, or, or maybe you can't even quantify the, the difference, but they're willing to just spend more if they're comfortable with the transaction. Mm-hmm. When you're spending $15,000, l- l- let's say the market price for a watch is $15,000. I would rather pay sixteen five with someone I know and trust than, than fourteen. Right, I don't want to lose fourteen thousand dollars. That's a very scary and very dangerous thing, right? It's 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 a scary industry. There are a lot of variables you can very easily be stolen from. Um, so it's a matter of you know building that trust and then cashing in on it. Is it easier to sell a fifteen thousand dollar watch than it is to sell a three hundred dollar watch? Very good question. It's easier to sell a three hundred dollar watch in the sense that you know who's not going to buy it? It's a three hundred bucks, a dollar watch. If it's cool, it's cool. Three hundred bucks, just buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but as far as a fifteen thousand dollar watch, uh, everyone loves it. Everyone is passionate about it. I mean, it's assuming it's assuming it's a great watch that we would curate. Um, an Audemars Piguet Royal Oak. We just sold one at fifteen eight uh, like last week. Everyone can get behind it, right? There's there's no one that looks at that and says, "Geez, I I I I don't wish to own that." But it's a matter of finding someone that has fifteen thousand dollars to spend on a watch. You know what I mean? Mm. That's that, that's hard. So you know, building a demographic of people that uh, that that is you know in in you know, in that range of ability is difficult, but it's something that we're working on. Yeah, got it. Now, website traffic. You are you're doing pretty well. From what I'm told, one point three million page views per month. That's good. <laughs> you're gonna be happy we with hit, that. Yeah, we we hit one point seven this month actually. No. We, uh, yeah, we hit one point I literally got my stats yesterday. We hit one point seven last month. Um and I think that's pretty good. I mean that that's good. It is it's really good for a little vintage watch. I really company. have no point of reference. Isn't that funny? Like I like I say that and I'm like, I think that's good. Well I, I, I guess I think yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, let's take it as being good. Uh now now, what are you? And you're not paying for a lot of that traffic, from what I understand. So, what are your top three traffic strategies for for a, a little watch website? It's pure. It's purely social. I mean, we pay almost nothing for ads. We just did a YouTube ad yesterday. I don't even think it was approved yet. Um, we've done some Instagram ads before, but really nothing. I would love to take you know take on you know take counsel from someone that is an expert in that because I I have no I, I just have no knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. Everything that we've built is is really from uh, from from YouTube, from Instagram, uh, a little bit from LinkedIn, a little little bit from Facebook and uh, SEO. We have a we have a webmaster on staff. Wow. That, uh, so what that are you doing? It's all very well to say, you know, it's coming from social. Uh, you're doing some great videos. You've got hundreds of videos on your YouTube channel. But what else are you doing to, you know, say on Facebook or or Twitter or LinkedIn? You know, the truth is, I've been such a I've been such a believer for so long that that you know don't take on another social medium if you can't handle it. You know, I I, I won't take on Facebook seriously until I feel like I'm incredible at Instagram, you know? So, mm. so yeah, we have a presence on Facebook. Uh, we were active, but it's not something that I've said, let me divert a ton of attention to. And I'm sure I'm missing on an opportunity there. Um, but I, I really like to have very, very, very solid grasps on, uh, on, on fewer mediums, right? That's why our YouTube and our Instagram are so similar in size. It's very well balanced, which is pretty rare. A lot of our competitors are either big on Instagram or big on YouTube. 
right? Or big on their website. Very few people are, very few companies in our space are balanced throughout those mediums. Yeah. So when we do venture off into Facebook, which is definitely in the future, um, in, you know, in the next you know, couple of months, whenever we feel ready, then, then that will be our goal. Let's level it out. Let's get our Facebook where it should be. From what I can tell, you're a bit of a a raving fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. In fact, I've seen a video in which you met him. How did that come about and what did you learn from him? I grew up 15 minutes from Gary's wine shop. There you go. I, I, I grew up in Gary Vaynerchuk's shadow. His sister was a school teacher in my school. Um, I have been hearing about him since I was, you know, nine. Mm Mm-hmm. Right when he was just selling wine, that's it. He wasn't even like Gary Van. He was just oh, that's that, that's Liz's brother. He sells wine. He does really yeah. well for their family. That was it. So so when Gary left Wine Library and went on, you know, to pursue Vayner Media and then became Gary Vaynerchuk on on YouTube, not just not just all the wine shows. Um, it, I was like, wow, wait, Gary's relevant to me again. He's not just the guy that used to sell wine at my wine store. He's huge. You know, let me see his message. And then at the time, I was I was a freshman and sophomore in, in, in college, his message couldn't have possibly been more relevant. I was considering going to law school. He was super against it. Um, he was super uh, focused on empowering young entrepreneurs. He was super um, invested in in making profitability important again, as opposed to just raising money. He, you know, he talked about things that I related to. Right? I don't. I don't come from a family in which anyone ever owned a business that you know that 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 didn't make much money but was worth a fortune. Right? Like a lot of my friends now, you know, they. They have these tech companies that aren't profitable, but but they have ten million dollars in the bank and they spend it, mm. but they're worth eighty million. You know, I I don't know that. I don't know that world, right? <laughs> Which seems to explain how that works. The, yeah, it's I, amazing, I, I, I isn't don't it? Get it, right? Like like <laughs> someone cut you a check for forty million and you're worth two billion, but you don't make any money. I don't get it, nah, right? Nah. Uh, but but Gary was all about that. Gary was you know constantly saying, yes, those are called not they're they're baloney or they're anomalies, right? Either way, you're probably not that. So focus on being profitable, mm. which is what I related to so much as, as a kid. All of my family members were entrepreneurs. You know, they were they were in restaurants or they were in club or they were they were in what, oh, dry cleaner, all these different businesses. So I understood, you know, just bringing in more money than you spent. That's it. Like very simple mechanics of business. Um, so Gary was Gary was nothing short of of, of an idol to me. Christian, are you much of a planner? Or do you operate more from from the heart when you're making decisions around the business? I I'm, I'm always thinking about it. Always, I don't I don't think I've ever really made or or, or make a lot of you know unthought you know just gut decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, that that being said. Everything does come from, you know, my heart. There's nothing, I mean, I, I love my family. My family's what I care about the most. I mean, I'm a super big family guy, but, but you know, my business is, this is my, it's like everyone says it's my baby, but, you know, it's, it's, I, no one, no one knows it better than me. No one ever will. You know, when we, when we sell this business, we'll sell it to someone who doesn't know it as well as we do, even though they just paid X amount of dollars for it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I can make decisions about my business kind of in my sleep that even if they're wrong, I hope they end up being a net positive and they usually are. You know, we make plenty of bad decisions. They just need to be net positives. What's the worst decision you've made? I, I resisted video for for months. I resisted going on YouTube because mm. I was afraid of being a YouTube personality. You know, I, I, I wasted three or four months that way. What's wrong with being a YouTube personality? 
in the, at the time, I just figured that no one would care to hear my opinion. Mm. So I just wasn't, I wasn't empowered. And then one day I was in my kitchen with my dad who, who's not an entrepreneur. And he just looked at me and he's like, you know, you're, you're crazy for not having a YouTube channel. Right. And I was like, dad, you don't even watch YouTube. And he was like, yeah, but you're always talking about Gary and his success with video. And I was like, oh wait, yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that's, that's the most obvious thing I've ever heard. And yet I wasn't doing it, you know? Have you thought of podcasting? Um, it's actually something that we started doing a couple of weeks ago, but we haven't released them yet. Anna and I uh, are, are recording a, a, a podcast kind of documenting just the Theo and Harris journey. No, no guests, just, just she and I talking about building you know, a company and, and, and what it's been for us. So it's, it's more of a passion project, uh, something that will probably come in handy in the future. But uh, I don't think it's, it's, at least for me right now, a big business opportunity. So really just a podcast to help other young entrepreneurs kind of start something, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think I would release it like Netflix, like just drop 15 episodes, like documenting 2019, like on one day and then tell everyone to go watch it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, I think that's what I'll do. And everyone hopefully just says, holy crap, thank you so much for recording these. You know, that was so insightful. You just took me through a year of what it was like. You know, uh, that, that's kind of what I hope. I, I, don't, I don't think of much else. Where do you see Theo and Harris, Christian, in two years time? Two years time, we'll still own the company. Uh, I have no doubt um, it'll it'll be it'll be much more uh, uh, wide range. We'll, we won't cap out around fifteen thousand. We'll probably expand into the twenties and thirties as far as watches. Um, the our our advertising model will be a significant portion of our revenue. Um, I hope that it towers retail, and I think that it has the potential to. Um, those are the those are the two big things. No bricks and mortar in the future. No brick and mortar in the future. I've been offered like some space and, you know, th- there's definitely value there, but, um, but I, I don't think that I would do well having to report to an office every day. Um, I think that I work really well from the computer in my living room. What's the one watch, Christian, that you would love to get your hands on? I'd like to buy a Rolex Date 8 in platinum. Um, it's, it's a watch that people think is like the most luxurious watch there is, but I want to use it as a sports watch. Like I want that to be, you know, I, I, I wear vintage watches, so they're, they're fairly delicate. Like I can't go swimming with my Rolex, so I would love to own a watch that is the watch I will take on vacation for the rest of my life or the watch I won't care if I ever have children that my son throws up on. You know what I mean? Like that, that's kind of a cool thing that I don't have um, that I really love to. All right, well, if anyone out there has got a watch that you'd love Christian's son to throw up on, please contact him through theoandharris.com. Christian, great story, buddy. Love your passion. Love your storytelling. Go and uh, keep creating and producing and succeeding. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. What a great fellow. Vintage watch industry mover and shaker. Christian Zeron. Coming up, another listener wins $1,000 or more worth of prizes just for sharing what marketing's working for them. But right now, here's what grabbed my attention from that chat with Christian. Attention grabber number one. I love how he's disrupted a staid old industry simply by being willing to share his opinions. It's a great strategy to blog And, you know, someone in your industry has got to shake the can and share their opinions, express their distaste, uh, their joy of whatever's going on in the industry, and, and Christian's doing that. So I love, I love that. Attention grabber number two. I love what he calls his secret recipe to creating effective marketing, and that's his extremely personal online presence. Like, he's got a great knack, I know, for finding anecdotes that support his watches. I know he was born with it. 
I think you can find it. Have a listen to some previous episodes I've done around storytelling over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Uh, like the the one with uh, Dave from Saddleback Leather. That was awesome. Um, and I'll link a couple of Christian's videos to the show notes as well so you can sort of see his way of going about storytelling. Attention grabber number three. I love this quote of Christian's. Everyone needs an enemy to keep them motivated. I like that. Sounds a bit aggressive. Doesn't have to be, but just having someone or a business in your sights that you can constantly be chasing and trying to beat is probably a good thing. Keeps you honest, keeps them honest. That's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, big, small, just be sure to block out some time and implement it. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Oh, yes, in deedly doodly, it is time to reward a motivated listener. Could be you for taking some serious marketing action. All you guys need to do is you email me, tell me what marketing's working for you in your business, how it's impacted your business, and you win. Today's winner... ..is Dean Meyer from Quality Tree Management Business, TreeFX. Well done, Dino. This is what he's got to say. He says, hey, Timbo... Since discovering your podcast, I listen to it whenever I'm in the car, which used to be such an unproductive time. Now I feel like I'm learning and being inspired every car ride. Good on you. Love that, Dean. The take-home lesson I have been implementing from your show is a message that has come from two separate episodes, the episode with Sophie Lovejoy and the one with your mate Simsy, that would be Steve Sims. Dean goes on to say, in my business, we provide tree management services and one strategy we use to get a foot in the door is calling primary schools to offer free tree inspections. Smart. As a qualified arborist with 20 years experience, it's a pretty big value freebie. So the hope is that we can then provide advice and a quote to undertake the services. I loved how when Sophie Lovejoy was asked who she would love to wear her pyjamas, she's got a, a pyjama brand called Saint, Saint Enable, she responded with one of the biggest celebrity families there is. No hesitation, she reached out straight to the top and contacted the Kardashians. That's exactly, exactly what she did. Then the interview with Steve Sims had a similar message. If you don't ask, you won't get. No one had ever asked before in relation to the serenaded dinner under Michelangelo's David statue where Andrea Bocelli sang between courses. That's something that Steve Sims had organised for a client of his and how he brought that to be was simply ring the museum where Andrea Bocelli's, where Andrea Bocelli, where Michelangelo's David is. I think it's the, is it the Uffizi or the Academia in Florence? But he just asked and, you know, one thing led to another and he made it happen. They're good lessons, Dean. So he's gone on to say, we have now started to push the limits high with our own industry. And instead of just contacting the less intimidating local primary schools, we're contacting the more prestigious private schools around Melbourne with the hope that they will too take up this offer. After all, the people at the front desk are just the baby Dobermans. <laughs> that's what they call. That's what we call them, isn't it? And if we keep on asking, who knows where it may lead? Thanks for all the great advice, Timbo, and the entertaining show. Keep it up. Cheers, Dean. Dean, 
your ace, mate. You have listened, you have implemented, and as a result, you win, both in your business and your personal life, because here's some prizes. You ready? You can get a $100 tradie voucher. Get some new undies. $100 voucher to use at Canning's Meats. Get some fancy meat. Bit of eye fillet. A $75 snotty noses voucher. A $50 Santa Nable voucher. Got some nice PJs. You got a My DNA test kit worth $99. $79 worth of Sayer skincare. A $250 voucher to use at promotional products company B Promotive. $60 worth of Carmen's Muesli. A $33 pass to the Amex Lounge at Melbourne or Sydney at International Airport. And to put a little cherry on all that, you are going to get a backlink on the smallbusinessbigmarketing.com website. And I don't know, I'm just going to put that down as priceless. If you'd like to enter the uh, monster prize draw, send me an email, tim at timreed.com.au. Tell me what one idea that you've learned from this show that's working for you and what impact it's had on your business. If I read it out on air, you win. That almost brings us to the end of episode 457 of your favourite marketing podcast. A reminder that you'll find plenty more where this came from on the Podcast One Australia app and my entire archive over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Next time, you and I are going to catch up with Ray Good, who in the 90s was ranked one of the top 100 DJs in the world. Since then, he's had a breakdown, started a successful seafood chain, and is now on a mission to teach mindfulness to people like you, and I. If you're getting value from listening to this podcast, then please share it around all the other business owners that you know. It's presented by me, Timbo Reed, and cleverly pulled together by the very sensible team at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. <laughs>